Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including ThatShelf.com, where the show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast Frameline. Today, I'm joined by film critic Carolyn Morissette. Carolyn is a Rotten Tomatoes-approved film critic who is the founder of the website View from the Dark. Her work has been published in numerous publications, including Rumor Magazine, Hollywood Suites, and Graveyard Shift Sisters, to name a few. She is the development director at the Blood in the Snow Film Festival and has given lectures on Afrofuturism at both the Fantasia Film Festival and at the Toronto Black Museum. She's also the co-host of the great podcast, Really Melanated with Ashley and Carolyn. Listeners, you might remember Carolyn from the last time she was on the show, which was episode 65, where we discussed Loose. Carolyn, how are you doing today? Good. Wow. I, I sound like I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> you do. I, I didn't even talk about the books that you've been published in or some of the other stuff. I had to, I had to limit your, your list of accomplishments. Yes. And Cat Wrangler. <laughs> and Cat Wrangler, a very important role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything's good. Yeah. Just hanging in there with quarantine and, you know, writing and stuff like that. Had we just finished Blood in the Snow. So that was a fun event. It was all on Super Channel. So you could stream it and that was really fun and it went really well kelly michael stewart the festival director he is very pleased everything went so well and i think a lot of people enjoyed it too that you can watch it at home our main film for today is the 2018 film climax directed by gaspar noe the film centers around a group of dancers who decide to have a party after rehearsals and find themselves in a living nightmare when their sangria punch bowl is laced with LSD. Now, Carolyn, this is a film that you had telling me I need to see it. So do you want to start us off with just a few thoughts on, on this film? I'll start with the director first. My experience with Gaspar Noé, he... I think my first film that I saw of his was Into the Void. And it was just so different that it kind of, I was like, who is this guy? The film is about a brother and sister who live in Tokyo and the sister strips, the brother sells drugs and he gets shot. And then most of the film is from his perspective as his spirit leaves his body. And it's all, it's just like such a fantastically shot film. And then I found each film had kind of signature Noe elements but then they were quite different. And then when I saw Climax come up, because I think the last film I saw, I think the last film he came out with was Love. And that one, controversial because there were a lot of like real sex scenes in it and you either loved it or hated it. And I actually really liked the film because I thought it was really sad and it just showcased a man who was looking for love and was really lost. And I didn't really focus on kind of the graphic nudity and the graphic sex. Didn't really focus on that. I kind of focused on the character. So when I saw he came out with another film and it was a dance horror and I was like, what? <laughs> I used to dance from six to like 25 or something. Fun fact, I was a tap dancer. <laughs> so... For me, anything that has to do with dance and horror, like that's a perfect mix. So I was all over this film. It's an experience and I, I loved it. I repeat myself every time when I talk about this particular director because I always say that he's a director that evokes a response out of me. I started off with Irreversible, which I think is a brilliant film that I never want to see again. Yep. <laughs> and like you, I really liked Enter the Void and... I was so-so on love. I think love steers more into shock value mm -hmm. than anything else, but 
again, he's a director that I'm willing to watch. I, I think the only one of his I haven't seen is, I think his very first feature, I Stand Alone. Climax is one that I have some issues with this film. Some of it's because of like the visceral response it, it brought out of me. But I'm kind of happy that this film exists. Even though I have some issues, I, I want to watch this again because there's just so much going on and he's got a unique style. And I kind of like his I don't care attitude. I'm just going to do it and still be able to, to get films made. So it was very much an experience. And let's jump into this film by just talking about movement and especially that opening dance sequence. Because mm-hmm. I was about to say the opening section of the film but this film has because of its stylized format i felt like there was several openings before you got to the actual story so let's talk about that initial dance sequence and what did you think of how that was choreographed and put together yeah i thought it was really incredible because they're all in sync they're all so incredibly in tune with each other but then they were individually using their own styles even though they were in sync and i just i love that and that that sequence reminded me of those dance classes where you know, everybody's doing the same steps, but they have their own style. This is really a, such a cool sequence. And the music as well was amazing. That song is apparently a very popular song. Like if you grew up in France, you would know that song. So yeah, I just thought that was kind of neat. I thought the song was great. And I liked that. I'm pretty sure it was all done in one continuous take, or at least it felt like it. Yeah. And I like that there is so much going on, but yet it found a way to bring out each character's personality. We don't really learn too much in depth about these characters. Each dancer has a specific style that gets promoted in that opening sequence. But then, as you said, there's just a lot of different moving parts. I was fascinated by Selva and some of the girls just walking, just kind of walking coolly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're absolutely doing nothing else but for a couple of sequences of just walking diagonally into a scene but yet with everything going on it works it it captures the the energy the coolness of the the number and when you have someone like Lou break out the ribbons near the end doing the kind of almost like a gymnastics type routine with the ribbon dance it, mm. it all worked and I just kept thinking this is phenomenal considering that if I understand correctly this film was only shot within like 15 days so right. for them to put this sequence together and I, I watched this the sequence like three times just because I was so fascinated by it you know you can look at one corner of the screen one time and then see what's going on and then the next time you watch it again you're looking at the other corner or something in the background there's always a lot of interesting pieces I think it just does a really good job of lulling you into a false sense of security because yes. I didn't expect the film to go where it went this one gets really dark and yeah you're so caught up in the euphoria and the fun of it all that when when things start to go dark, it, it really does feel a bit jarring. And I, I also like that the opening scene, he auditioned a bunch of dancers and they're of all sizes, all colors, all shapes. They represent all different dance forms from voguing to, you know, as you're saying, the acrobatic ribbing, da- ribbon dancing to break dancing. I think that the whole thing was just, he was presenting to you, these are the people that are going to be in this film. It was an introduction to everyone. And I thought that was really, it was really cool. And I think because it was so in sync, as it gets darker towards the body of the film, it that's why it's so jarring because you think, okay, this is, everybody's so in sync and then you see everything fall apart. And I think that the juxtaposition of, you know, in sync and chaos, that's what makes it so jarring. Yeah. And I feel the film tries to 
set you up for that with its just overall structure because the film starts with a woman walking in the snow. You start to realize that, oh wait, her arms are bloody because everything is shot from an overhead view at a distance. So you don't quite understand what's wrong with her. And then it, the credits roll as if, you know, you just watched like a short film or whatnot. Yeah. It's the full credits. And then it cuts to this documentary style where they're introducing a whole slew of dancers. One of the things I should have paid more attention to was as they're showing this, you know, full documentary sequence, you're seeing it as a viewer from a television set. And beside the television set, it's a whole stack of DVDs, you know, Suspiria was right. there. There's Possession, there's Fritz Lang, and a whole bunch of other titles that also lures you into what's to come later on. Yeah, for sure. I thought that was so cool. Oh my god. And then later on in interviews, he was saying he wanted to put his influences on the film in a unique way. I really like that because I like to know what the filmmakers were, you know, what they were kind of drawing from. Maybe it's just the nerd in me. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, Possession, I could totally see that. Oh my god, Spiria, yeah, I could totally see that. I love that it. Yeah, and I was watching an interview afterwards with the lead actress, Sophia Butella, who plays Selva. And, you know, listeners might remember her from Kingsman. She was the head henchman with mechanical or scissored legs. She was saying that she comes from a dancing background. Yes. And when she was approached to do the film, Gasper told her that it was essentially a film about what happens when you no longer have control. I will say that, to your point, I liked that it was a diverse group of dancers. Some of my issues, though, with the film also have to do with, with representation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel on one hand, it makes a lot of great strides. And then the other hand, for the sake of horror, it relies on a lot of traditional tropes. Yes. And I don't know if it's just because he's coming from a European perspective, especially in the, the way how they portrayed the black dancers. When things get really dark and the horror kicks in. Mm-hmm. It's the black dancers that are the most violent, the most aggressive. Yeah. Dom proceeds to beat up and kick a woman who just announced that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. You have a guy like David who is, you know, one of the white dancers and he is known as like the walking STD. Yes. <laughs> He's a jerk for a lot of the film, but then he gets violently beat up by the muscular hip hop dancers. Yes. And then there's one point where Lou, who's already in pain, and the troop starts mocking her and getting up on her, basically forcing her to start cutting herself. But it's primarily the black dancers that are egging mm-hmm. her on the most. It played back to the stereotypical type of like, you know, these unruly savages who can't be reasoned with and they're they're quick to violence. So Stuff like that kind of bothered me from a representation standpoint. I don't know what you thought. That's a really good take on the Black characters. I kind of had a slightly different take on it. So when I was in my 20s, I lived in Paris for a summer. And I was basically told, carry your papers. Because they're quite racist towards Africans there. They're also quite racist towards Algerians. Because there's a whole history of Algerians being brought over to France. Actually, the history of that is in a film cachet yes the haneke yeah that's great yes they're quite racist there but they're also really open in a way it's just a weird culture over there so i'm not surprised that noe would kind of position the black characters in that way and maybe because i was there and i just it's just kind of a way of life. And I feel over here as well, where, you know, if I go into a shop, I just make sure my hands are visible and yep, <laughs> like yep. I just expect to be followed. So I don't know if it, if I noticed that right off. 
I did notice with Dom how aggressive her character was. But on the other hand, this wasn't a, a scripted film. So a lot of it was improv. So I don't know if that was just the dancers kind of bringing out just basically their lived experience. I'm wondering if Dom, because she's a taller, statuesque Black woman, and Lou is this petite, really pretty white woman, you know, there's probably some resentment towards her because in terms of being a Black woman in a space where you're not seen as feminine, you're not seen as beautiful, there might be some just overall resentment towards Lou, you know, maybe that's why she picked her out. That's what I was thinking. Also, that scene where the two black men are talking about, you know, sex and what, you know, what they would be doing and how big they were. That I found a really fascinating scene because to me, it was all posturing. Also, the sexuality and the two black men is kind of a stereotype in itself. But there's something with that scene where I just didn't believe them. I don't know. I don't know how you felt about that scene. There's a through line of toxic masculinity that flows in this film that I don't know if it's even intentional as much as an artist that this director is I feel like he touches on a lot of themes for get under people's skins but I don't think he really has too much in terms of deep things to say and the reason why I say that is because similar to you I felt like those two in particular it felt more like they were just boasting and being braggadocious because their scenes were often juxtaposed with David talking to his friend and David talking about the women that he's going after and Mm -hmm. and oddly enough even though the two black men the two hip-hop dancers are talking really graphically and about really violent stuff it's david that i found more creepy yeah and i think it's partly because other women in the troupe you know one calls david a walking std there's some that know david is trouble but would still get with them and then there's others that are like i don't trust this guy if there was a rape to happen it would probably be david who committed it's a through line of toxic masculinity throughout this like there's a lot of scenes where women are talking about they're sick and tired of fathers and and brothers you know you Mm -hmm. have in the film you have a brother that is overly protective of his sister who's also in the dance troupe but also having said that there's some very problematic women in this film this film works as a horror because it plays up on a lot of the fears that viewers have and as you said it could be because of blatant racism just the way how society is structured especially in france that it plays up on a lot of fears just by letting inhibitions run wild oh absolutely i just want to go back to the black characters for a moment i don't know if you remember during the interviews there are a couple of black characters is like yeah you know you america is really awesome you know america's that's where it's at so i feel like the two black males they were even emulating kind of hip-hop pop culture from the states because i feel like they're emulating because you know american hip-hop culture is everywhere and i feel like that kind of translates into some of the other black characters as well yeah there's a lot going on there but yeah the a lot of the female characters and i can't remember i just in my notes i just called them the two blondes (laughs) yes i know exactly you're talking about that's how i wrote in my notes terrible human beings I mean, the one, I think, was she Polish? Her more so. Even though she just, she was her own person and she just did whatever the hell she wanted. She was just kind of, just really toxic, you know? She was just not a good person. I wrote them in my notes as the tall blonde and the short blonde. Yes. (laughs) They're definitely a couple, or at least they were a couple at one point. 
Uh-huh. But the tall blonde is essentially, I've had my fun with you. I'm now bored. Yeah. And the, the the shorter blonde is, I felt like the kind of hopeless romantic. I feel like there's some of those characters that do some crazy things or some bad things that if that inhibition hadn't been released, probably would never be like that. But with the tall blonde one, you get the vibe that there's a certain arrogance to her. Yeah. If things were to go down, she's one of the people I would not trust. Yeah, because she seems kind of disconnected. Could easily snap someone's neck and walk away. <laughs> and what did you think of the whole, and I, and I guess maybe this might go into more of the technical aspect, but the sequences with Tito, I found, oddly enough, some of the most chilling aspects was when he was locked in the utility oh, room. Yeah. But you could hear his screams as they're following Silva down the hall. I just want to know what you thought of the use of T- Tito and especially in terms of elevating the the horror aspects of it. He certainly did elevate it. This woman's not probably the best mother (laughs) around. I mean, maybe she didn't have a caregiver that was able to look after her son. But I don't know if I'd bring my child to rehearsal like that. Once the LSD starts to hit her, I mean, she's really not in control of what she's doing. So locking him in the electrical room (laughs) was not the best decision. But then that added to the tension and the horror because, you know, inevitably, she's like, don't touch that. You know, inevitably, he's going to touch it. That aspect was definitely in the realm of the horrific, even though, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I have a niece. I'm around a lot of children and I don't even like babysitting because I'm so nervous. I'm like, they're going to do something. They're going to hurt themselves. So just being that just made my, gave me goosebumps. That was definitely an element of horror there. Yeah, I felt it was more chilling just hearing him scream. It was such a simple technique, but so effective. And, I, and this is one of the things I will give credit to this film. You know, the camera work itself is fascinating the camera's always moving you've got close-ups crane shots you know there's a lot of long tracking shots what have you but when you really think about it there's not much in the way of special effects in, in the horror it's it's lighting it's red lighting green lighting blue lighting turning the camera upside down and just dancers moving their bodies in different ways some of them being sexualized others almost convulsing like having seizures it's it's very much using simple things to create maximum horror and terror from a technical standpoint this film is really well done absolutely yeah and like i found actually the end part of the film i found it hard to watch because of the disorienting uh, camera angles and because of the grotesqueness of, of that one dancer that contorted his body, plus with the upside down camera, and I can watch any kind of horror and sleep like a baby. So I don't I don't scare easily, but I just found it, it almost nauseating to see how grotesque things turn towards the end. And it's interesting that you use the word possession because they really are possessed by something. I don't know if it's the drug or the building kind of was home to some sort of entity or something. I mean, it's all kind of up in the air, but whatever the influence is, it's just really grotesque series of shots and writhing and, as you were saying, convulsing. That's the part I found really difficult to watch. I think it allows the film to play on a lot of common fears, because if you really think about what are the the central fears that happen in this film, isolation, people not being loved, the threat of rape, the threat of gang violence. I think there's like a whole racial kind of fear that some people have about racial uprising, what have you. And then 
by the end of the film, you see who survives the nightmare. There's some people that are asleep peacefully. There's some people that have hurt themselves. People who have gone through this great terror, this great trauma, and some of them are going to come through the other side and others essentially got trapped within it. Yeah, and for sure. And that scene where the woman's hair set on fire, they've really descended into some sort of a hell. When the film starts, there's this euphoric dancing and synchronicity, and they're expressing themselves. They're trying to reach perfection to have this transcendent experience. And then it flips literally with the camera and you're in hell. And it's just this juxtaposition of evil, good and evil, heaven and hell. There's ecstasy and agony. And also there's a lot of references to God, like watching God is watching them. I don't know if he's actually doing this intentionally, but I felt like some of the camera angles were kind of putting us in that position the top view of the dancing. There's also a lot of crosses in the school. Didn't God make, you know, humankind to have their own will? It's kind of interesting to see everything kind of unfold with this bird's eye view. I don't know. That's like a tangent I'm off of, but. (laughs) No, no, I I actually think that's a a very good point because a lot of overhead shots in this Mm -hmm. film, there's a lot of shots that start on level with the dancers and then moves to an overhead view. And As you said, there is a lot of reference to God. And I feel, if anything, it's almost a dark joke that Gaspar is playing on us because if we are essentially God in this world where we're observing all of these people, God doesn't end up helping them. Yeah, it's so jarring. The whole, that whole end sequence is so jarring. There's one, I forget her name, but she was wearing the kind of the strappy black dress. And like she was like, oh, the blood. And she was trying to wash blood off of her in the shower. It really was like they had entered hell and like everybody was having their own personal hellish moment. I had forgotten about the the woman in the black dress, Dom's friend, until you mentioned that. Yeah, she was the one in the shower. I'm like, right, I forgot about her because there's just so many people that some people just kind of get dropped off. and Yeah, and the one that her hair was on fire. She, I thought she died and then you see her trying to, you know, calm her burns with water and she's screaming and then, crying you know so she kind of kind of made it you know Mm -hmm. but yeah it's just there were so many characters that it was it really was kind of hard to keep track of one minor quibble i have in in relation to the fire sequence is or not even the fire sequence but in relation to what happens to a lot of the characters a lot of them recover a little too quickly because when david gets his beat down i'm like that dude's dead yeah (laughs) you know or severely injured and then like five minutes later, it's like, oh, here's David just going around, still looking for love. Like, there was just a lot of times where a character, as you said, would get their hair caught on fire or something would happen to them. And then, you know, two scenes later, they're just kind of back doing their, their, their thing. thing. Yeah, their drug-induced thing <laughs> or, or spirit-induced thing. Yeah. I did want to mention, too, I really love the use of color in all of Noe's films. I love, love, love color. I think it was because I had two jobs where I had to dress in black and it just really, I hated it. I wanted to wear color, you know, one of them was because I worked for a makeup company. So we wore color on our face. And then the other one was just like, they just thought it looked chic to wear all black to work. I need color. And I find films that have very muted tones are difficult for me to watch because it doesn't hold my attention. But every No Way film has caught my attention because of his use of color. And I thought they was used brilliantly here because in the first part of the film, the red, the red of the floor, it was vibrant and 
lively and you wanted to see that red. And then towards the end, it was dark and kind of smoky and a red that was that kind of signified danger. So I really liked that use of, of color. And it made also just the minimal set pop because the, the hallways were more interesting. One of the things I noticed in the opening dance sequence was how massive the, the French flag was. Yes. And my eyes were just drawn to it because the color you know, really, really pops in this film. As things start to descend, I stopped noticing the flag, right? Like the flag almost disappeared from my consciousness because my eyes started focusing on other things. Like he does a really good job of drawing your attention to various parts of the screen just through how they've lit things just based on who's wearing what particular color in a, in a certain scene. And actually, I'm glad you brought up the flag because I had a point and I um, it's come back to me now. So... In, on the DVD, there's a video essay by Alexandra Heller-Nicholas, and she talks about basically Gaspar Noé as a shaman and his shamanism in his films. And one of the points she brings up is his commentary on nationalism, and that brought up a point with the French flag and no, the two Black characters, well, one of them noticing, you know, saying that's not quite right. So I wonder tying in that whole nationalism and mentioning like when I was in France and how racist it was, I wonder if that flag kind of signifies the society that these kind of, if you really think about it, they're all kind of fringe dwellers from mainstream society because that nationalistic flag is kind of overbearing over them and then they kind of descend in this hell. I wonder if that's some sort of commentary on fringe dwellers and how they deal with society and how they're dealt with in society. But that just kind of, you made me think about that when you mentioned the French flag. Maybe, I, I, I don't know if I can, I can't delve into it deeper right now, but it just made me think about that. No, but that's a, that's a very interesting point because I, then that would also tie in with my theories about the film consciously or unconsciously playing on I guess mainstream fears and in this mm -hmm. case it would be the fears of immigrants these people from the LGBTQ community they're all essentially demonic dangerous rapists incestuous what have you um, that are plaguing our society because th this film really does at least for me, it felt like it was playing on a lot of tropes that you would hear from like extreme far-right conservatism Yes, uh, or or nationalism. Back to I, I might have to uh, pick up that that DVD because I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Alexandra has to say. Oh, it's brilliant! I was oh my god, she's so smart. <laughs> on on a side note, I had the pleasure of meeting Alexandra at TIFF. I think maybe two years ago, three years ago. Uh, we just we literally just happened to be sitting in the same Asghar Fahardi film, like side by side. We just started talking. She's delightful. As much as like I've read her reviews and I have her book on Suspiria that it's on my list of things to read. She's just such the, the nicest person. Oh my God, she's so brilliant too. And like I've tweeted at her and she's tweeted back and I'm like, this brilliant person read my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were supposed to get together. I remember that because I think we were supposed to go to a pub night or something and you let me know and I really wanted to meet her but I think we all ended up getting sick or something nobody was yeah everybody was sick <laughs> the, the dreaded festival cold hit but yeah she's so brilliant and honestly that that video essay you're like oh my gosh 
she actually puts in some really graphic scenes from some of his film so just for warning <laughs> just for warning you there but it's such a brilliant video essay that just kind of blew my mind yeah so listeners definitely go out and check out her work because she's she's doing great stuff on just horror in general women in horror whatever has anything to do with cinema you know she's got some interesting stuff to say uh, was there anything else you want to mention about this film there are quite a few trans actors uh, in the cast as well, which I thought was really cool. And I think he said, I was reading, I can't remember what interview it was from, but he was like, yeah, I didn't really think about whether they were trans or not. I just thought they were best for the role. So I thought that was really great. Like um, Tito's mother is a trans woman. So, you know, it's like, whatever. He just thought, oh, this person is great for the role. I really hope that more directors and casting agents and that sort of thing, I hope that they can kind of follow that because I think that we need more representation in, in, in that area. So that was my only, my final thought. Carolyn, thank you for hopping on the show today. Where can listeners find you? I am on uh, Twitter uh, at VFDPixie. Uh, I mean, my web sites view from the dark and yeah that, that's about it thanks so much for having me on courtney it's always a pleasure i love talking film with you oh we love having you listeners you can reach me on twitter at small mind or you can reach the show on twitter at changing reels ac thank you very much for listening and remember you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time